Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, the juice. Are you trying to play a trumpet? Now he's gargling. <laughs> Underwater? <laughs> well, he he was Under- writing a story about the pool in Chester being shut down because DJ, of like... Underwater flautist and <laughs> trumpeteer. Welcome to the Underwater Podcast. Now it's just uh, guzzling some tea or okay. gargling it. I stuck so my you... face down in the cup and did something weird. Whatever. So, so you're writing a story about the the Chester pool getting shut down, right? Because of like uh-huh. a massive, how many violations do they have? Uh, what was that like? Thirteen, I think. It was a lot. Yeah, I think something like that. It was a lot. Was I, a, I read them to you right before we started. It was yeah, comical. It was, it was ridiculous. I feel like my bathtub might be safer. So, and our storyteller, Mister Will. I feel like I think literal shark infested waters might be safer. Yeah, maybe they might be uh, because if you don't have any open wounds, you might be okay. <laughs> And and introducing our storyteller on this wonderful journey with Dwayne Allman is Mr. Will the Thrill. See, I got it hey, right this me. time. Greetings and salutations. I got it right this time, not like last week. I was, ooh. <laughs> you were whacked out on various vaccinations. Woof, that was rough. So, right. yeah. yeah. Vaccinations. Cha-cha-cha. Yeah. I might have eaten the dog's medication you know like the the medication that you feed your dogs to like calm them down during uh fireworks i took that <laughs> i call that um i call that bourbon yeah the same yeah. thing yeah well that stuff you give your dog so they'll calm down yeah liquor what <laughs> <laughs> yeah booze yeah. what is i think you have to go get a special pill for that what does tucker prefer he's a woodford reserve man oh classy gentleman of refined taste so connie van dyke passed away this week she was a Motown singer who died November 11th. So just in the last couple of days, since you know, since after we've recorded. So she actually starred in the film Among the Thorns with uh, Bill Wellman Jr. and Stephanie Powers. She signed to Motown Records in 1961, becoming one of the first artists on her label. And her first two singles were Oh Freddie and It Hurt Me Too. And they were both written by Smokey Robinson and Marvin Gaye, respectively. Later released two country albums and star in films such as Hell's Angels 69, Framed, WW, and the Dixie Dance Kings. 
which also featured Reynolds and Carney. And her TV credits included Adam 12, Barbary Coast, Nikita, Cold Case, and CSI. So she was working for a while. I think that's pretty much it for all of our passings. That's only passings. I did have one correction back from our uh, birthday slap nuts episode. Uh, upon listening to it, if I if, I guess if I didn't catch it when it was said, or I would have I would have corrected it then. But we were talking about the movie Miracle, of course, based on the Miracle on Ice, 1980 U.S. Olympic team, and we we did know correctly that the match against Soviet Union was not for the gold medal. It was not that was the the I guess the semifinals. But then somebody said that the U.S. did not win the medal that year. They did. They did win. I believe. I think they beat Finland. In the finals, but the win over Russia did not give them the medal. It sent them to the gold medal game, and they did win it. So, gotcha. And then yeah. we, um, I did have a question about uh, last week, uh, Will. Yes, sir. Now, I'm known to take a circuitous route, so I'm certainly not throwing hate or shade on anybody, but we noted at some point that the Allman Brothers left Florida, bound for Macon, Georgia, and broke down in South Carolina. What path would one take? Oh, no, they, they were not Macon bound at that point. They were going to New York. Going to New York, okay. Yes. They're going to New York, not Macon. Either you misspoke or I misunderstood you. I heard left Florida for Macon and broke down in South Carolina. I'm like, so did they like they overshot the target? So they could go south of the border, or like what's what's happening that they would? <laughs> there, there was a Bucky's, and Dwayne loved Bucky's. That's not accurate at all. There was no Bucky's. That's There's not no accurate at all. But I'm sure Dwayne would. I'm sure Dwayne would have liked Bucky's. <laughs> Although if you go to Texas, you know they have miniature Bucky's. A miniature Bucky. Yeah, they have like buckies that are just regular sized gas stations, but then they have the big Mojo Mega, you know, Megalomart looking. I'm, I'm can, still, can I tell you how ironic it is that's in Texas? I'm still pissed that when we did our cross country drive to move to Georgia, that we actually missed going to the world's largest buckies that has the five minute car wash drive through, like the longest car wash in the world. I'm still mad about that. So if we ever. If drive- you never. If you've never been to Bucky's, imagine if QT bumped uglies with Walmart and they had a baby and then you added a food court. And the baby had merch. And, yeah. the, baby, and the baby has merch. Well, that's that, that's the, the Walmart part. Yes, it's it's food and but clothes. No, but you can't, like, buy, you can't buy Walmart merch at Walmart. Nobody's buying a Walmart t-shirt at Walmart. You are buying a Bucky's t-shirt at Bucky's. Don't you see the inherent difference, man? Yes, well, I have a Bucky's hat, so yes. So and I don't own a Walmart hat. That is accurate. But before we get too deep in it, really quick. So next week, of course, is Thanksgiving. Yes. Well, th- th- when this releases, it's actually going to be Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, Lucky everybody. Turkey. To anybody who celebrates and to those who don't, I hope you have a great Thursday. But we will be releasing this episode on Monday the 20th. I think that's correct. Correct, I think yes. Monday's the 20th. Yes. Okay. So the next week, we're actually going to be doing something special, kind of kicking off like our month of shirking off our responsibilities, which we like to call December. Um, We'll actually be releasing our admin Thea's episode, Not Yet Dead, her episode one, so you guys can get a preview. So if you like what you hear, please go over to our Patreon and donate so that you can get access to that. But we'd like to give you guys a sneak preview of what's going to happen with uh, Thea's Not Yet Dead Episode 1. A good one. Yeah, I do believe our fearless... Uh, are you my side piece, Will? Because, I mean, everybody knows I love Jensen Ackles. Are you my side piece? Uh, am I a second banana to Jensen? Is that what you're asking me? Yes. I guess it depends on how you look at it. I mean, what okay. if I were to tell you that's my side piece? <laughs> well, you actually helped her helm the first episode, correct? 
Yeah, and I don't want to give any spoilers. All I will say that it is a topic that will interest people who have a uh, interest in punk music. I think that's definitely a peak there, but there's something for everyone in it, and the subject is very fascinating on for a lot of reasons. So you don't want to miss it. Check it out. Perfect. So we will be taking that week off just because I love Will's family, but it's a zoo at his house, and I don't know if he would actually get a chance to actually write the episode. So. Uh, we're going to release really that it. the week after Thanksgiving. And then after that, we'll also have our December Slap Nuts. And we will have a couple of other special episodes that we're going to be putting out in the month of December, along with the sad conclusion to Will's series on Dwayne Allman. So How do you know uh, it's going to be sad? How do you know it's going to be sad? Be- have, you, have, you, have you listened to our, our show, Travis? Mm, I'm more of a reader. Okay. That's fine. Um, what a reveal. He's still alive. Ta-da. All right. Well, at that, with that being said, I think today it's a great day to uh, take a little break. How about that? Is it a great day to take a break or is it a great time to take a break? I'm still on things, probably. Let's take our first break. How about that? And then when we come back, Mr. Will will take the reins and start cruising the ship on home. All right. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And we are back. All right, Will, I'm handing it over to you, sir. I know we're in good hands. Right. And this is LD, the episode you've been waiting for, because it involves, I believe, one of your favorite guitar solos of all time, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I I actually believe we've discussed this several times. So I'm looking forward Uh, to it. So looking forward to it. So I'm going to give two pieces of business at the start. One, there is a substance abuse warning in this episode. So we will deal with substance abuse. We will deal with addiction, some topics that may be very difficult for some people to understandably listen to. So if that is something that is going to affect you, this may not be the episode for you. But we do talk about intense drug use. So keep that in mind. Also, I have a retraction. Retraction! I have a retraction! (laughs) So in one of my previous episodes, I believe it was episode one, or it might have even been episode two, I did say that the the most famous recording of Statesboro Blues by the Allman Brothers has a very succinct intro in which 
a gentleman comes on stage, just goes, okay, the Allman Brothers band and antics ensue. I credited that to Bill Graham when it is not Bill Graham, folks, and I'm sorry about that. It is actually Michael Ahern. Ahern was a stage manager at the Fillmore, so he was definitely alongside Bill, but Ahern was actually the one who went up on stage and said, okay, the Allman Brothers band, and then crowd was wild, Wayne plays, it's sublime. So slight retraction there. Where were we last week on Dwayne? I know TJ, you and I got to hang out, listen to Small Almonds, was by all accounts a good time. The key takeaway was the Almond Brothers are formed. They are officially the band that we know today, and they've kind of come into their own sound. Greg's voice is maturing. Dwayne just continues to get better on the guitar, which is, you know, kind of the pyramid that has no top. And sadly, he will never reach that pinnacle due to his short lifespan. And yet he's still one of the top guitar players of all time. So one of the key things we went out on was they were recording their second album, Idlewild South. And during the recordings, the engineer Tom Dowd was disrupted by a phone call, which he does not take unless it is supremely important. And on the other end of the line was Robert Stigwood. And Robert Sigwood is, of course, a manager for a gentleman named Eric Clapton, which is going to kind of springboard this episode and where we are going to pick up from here in the year 1970. And yes, you know, to your point, LD, the sands are starting to fall. We are in 1970. Dwayne Ullman is on the clock for only one more year. So mm. the inevitable is coming. In the meantime... Let's focus on the matter at hand. So they were recording their second album. Dwayne was, of course, still fulfilling his session obligations, which he liked to call being a member of, quote, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. But now he's finally getting credited with his own band. They've got their own album out there. Second album, they say that's a sophomore slump. Not the case with the Almonds. It was better received than the Almond Brothers Band first album. And then TJ, as I mentioned before, I like to be a bit of a jackass and be contrarian and call Idlewild South their weakest album. But again... Is it? And what is a weak Almond Brothers album compared to everything else? Right. They're basically only competing against themselves. Right. We need to say fantastic album. I also want to clear up one of the misconceptions because this gets brought up a lot, especially in the context of Idle Wild South, which does have, of course, the jazz opus by Dickie Betts in memory of Elizabeth Reed. There are a ton of rumors floating around about that song about the gravesite activities that may or may not have happened there. So I'm going to set the record straight, at least according to what Dickie had said. So he did compose a song, and it is just wonderful for those of you who haven't heard it. It is an instrumental. It's about seven minutes long, which is why we're not playing it today. But um, it is kind of a jazzy piece. It's very interesting. But the title, In Memory of Elizabeth Reed, was a nod to, yes, a married woman that Dickie was seeing at the time. And he was also married, if you remember correctly, Dale Betts. Boo. Yeah, so it's a bit of a mess. Now, he did say that, yes, this was all going on, and yes, the name was lifted from a tombstone in Rose Hill Cemetery, where the band would often go to basically smoke pot and write music, but there were no intimate activities at that tombstone, and that is one of the rumors that's floating around is Dickie saw this while he was being intimate with his mistress, and hence the name. So Dickie came out later and said, you know, he did choose the name from the tombstone on a separate occasion, obviously. His lover's name was not Elizabeth, and Dickie phrases it well by saying, of course, I chose not to put her real name in the title because I don't want to get shot. So there you go. And no, this would not be the first time Dwayne Allman would be called upon to play on a song that deals with infidelity and the lust after another man's wife and it's a song you will all know in seven mere notes now Dwayne's reputation had preceded him so by the time the call had come from robert stigwood saying hey what about that Dwayne allman guy eric clapton knew who he was and they were basically contemporaries at the time i mean eric clapton obviously starting 
in Britain and Dwayne Allman starting here. I think Clapton was about a year older than Dwayne. So they were by and large contemporaries and very interested in each other, even from a distance. You know, Tom Dowd actually produced Cream's second album, Disraeli Gears, which was hence his connection to Clapton. Now, by 1968, Cream would dissolve. And I think, TJ, let me know what you feel about this. Cream is probably one of the greatest power trios of all time. Oh, yeah. Ever. There's, yeah. there's, if they had a bigger body of work, they'd be the undisputed kings mm-hmm. of that, the power trio format, I would say. Yeah. And all of them in their very, very limited house. catalog, of course. But yeah, right. what's there is just freaking gold. Yeah. Because when you have a power trio, it's, it's really, a, I mean, it's a very unique thing. You know, we covered Neil Peart with Rush. That's a power trio as well. And by and large, the members of Cream are considered the best at what they do. You know, the power four piece is a little more common. Then you get a lot of composition of, you know, you got drums, bass, guitar, vocals. That's very common. You can ratchet that up even more. And you have, you know, the five piece setup, which the Beach Boys had. And for later, you know, Aerosmith, you know, uh, Dream Theater. A lot of bands have that five member approach where you do seem to have extra players in there. One of the biggest, of course, is Manfred Band's Earth Band. All right. Take it away, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGuinness, and that was your federally mandated Manfred Man reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. Oh, Tom, every time we're satisfied. It is always. And yes, you can either have, you know, like a three-piece like Rush or a four-piece like the Beatles or a five-piece like Aerosmith or 317 pieces like Chicago. Almond Brothers who's cruising around eight, seven or eight, which is crazy. Speaking of which, speaking of which, not to toot my own horn, but beep beep. I believe we're gonna be interviewing the drummer from Chicago on our the other podcast that I produce called Getting Real with John and Beth. Oh, that's awesome. So that's amazing. Yeah. It my job is cool. So, yeah, so actually Eric Clapton and Dwayne Allman had a lot in common because Clapton actually would also do session work. Again, imagine that walking in the studio being like, yeah, you know, here's your mic, here's your instruments, and we got this guitar guy to play for you. His name's Eric Clapton, you know, have at it. He was also in numerous bands, Blind Faith, you know, and Cream, and he would eventually kind of forge out on his own, like Dwayne had kind of done, but I think he was definitely more into the solo act thing. So how the band Derek and the Dominoes got formed is kind of a mystery, and it depends on who you ask about what account you're going to get. A lot of people say George Harrison was the driving force behind it, kind of like he was, TJ in your series, driving force behind forming the Wilburys, which is a great story. There are similar theories about his pulling together of Derek and the Dominoes, but it's actually debunked by members of Derek and the Dominoes. So you have sort of these gospel stories that may conflict a little bit. Uh, They say that George Harrison, you know, introduced Blind Faith to another band called Delaney and Bonnie while they were touring. And that, of course, consisted of most of the members of Derek and the Dominoes, Jim Gordon, Bobby Whitlock, Leon Russell, which, by the way, he would be great to to cover. Leon Russell, my God. Yeah, no kidding. Greatest side man in the history of the world. Yeah. But actually, Bobby Whitlock, member of Derek and the Dominoes, actually says, and here's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge over to LD, that he credits the introduction to Graham Parsons. Hey, we might be doing a series on him. Maybe. We'll see. Saying that, you know, George wouldn't have met them until they were formed and out on tour. But however you want to look at it, here's what you have in play. You've got Eric Clapton. You have him pulling together another band after Blind Faith and Derek of the Dominoes. And you have Dwayne Allman playing with the Allman Brothers, who likes to go out and play with different outfits. So that's really the setup you have. And also, and fun fact, I, oh. oh, I was just going to say, what a what an incestuous little world music is when, here, here again, 
two episodes running or two series running, we have had a reference to Graham Parsons. And then yeah. we have a series coming up on Graham Parsons. But he and Waylon Jennings were buddies. We just finished up with Waylon. And now you're saying that he had some hand perhaps in the formation of Derek and the Dominoes. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because a lot of that formation was also pulled from George Harrison's outfit for All Things Must Pass. So you got like Carl Riddell was in there and I think Bobby Whitlock jumped in. Bobby Whitlock's also really fascinating. He's fortunately still with us. But by 1970, you know, both Eric and Dwayne are rising on their respective stages. So they figure, let's get these two together. Let's do it in Miami, which is where they have a studio. So the way Dowd actually explains it was that, you know, he went to Eric and he was saying, so, you know, I, I understand you're interested. You know, we got the guy who plays guitar for the Allman Brothers and Eric Clapton looks at him and go, you mean that guy that plays on the back of Hey Jude? I want to meet him. <laughs> so they invite them both to a show in Miami. And apparently Dwayne's up on stage and he's playing along. He's playing along. And Tom Dowd and Eric Clapton kind of come in and they sit towards the front. And while Dwayne is playing, he just sees Eric Clapton and he freezes. And so at this point, Dickie kind of looks over at Dwayne and says, what's going on? Why aren't you playing? And he looks, he sees Clapton and he freezes. <laughs> so apparently Clapton starstruck Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman, which is pretty hilarious if you think about it. So after the show, they go back. There's introductions. Eric and Dwayne just get along famously. They go back to the studio. This is like at two o'clock in the morning. And they're sitting there. They're trading guitar licks. They're saying, oh, have you tried this tuning? Have you done this? The way Tom Dow describes it, he, he said they were, quote, two kindred spirits who had finally met. Now, while this is going on, the Almonds are, of course, touring. So Dwayne does what he typically does is he's going to peel off, go back to Miami and put down some tracks with Eric for Derek and the Dominoes. It is important to note this interesting fact about Dwayne because we do pinpoint interesting him as fact very about Dwayne. Interesting about Dwayne as being kind of very fluid and borderline unreliable. But take this fun fact: this is the only time where Dwayne voluntarily bowed out of an Allman Brothers band show to play studio work. He worked around it every other time, but for this one, he did miss a single show so he could go record with Eric Clapton. I, think I mean. He's excused. Yeah. yeah, as far as the music goes, yeah. But as the human goes, meh, could have passed it. I mean, art, art from artist, right? It's the hardest thing, but sometimes you gotta. So the first song they recorded down in Miami was Nobody Knows You When They're Down and Out. They also actually did a version of Hendrix's Little Wing, which is interesting enough to have Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton play that song. Tell me that's not incredible. And here's the crazy part. That recording of Little Wing was recorded in Miami one week before Jimmy passed. Oh, wow. Even creepier. Bobby Whitlock said that they were actually supposed to be with Jimmy the night he died. They actually uh, went back. Yeah, they went back to England. If only that were true, like we might still have Hendrix. And the reason is far darker. So they do go back and it's him and Eric hanging out. And of course they are doing, you know, as Bobby Whitlock puts it, quote, few too many of whatever. So <laughs> fill in the gap there. Basically, they get wrecked they don't go to see jimmy jimmy passes away which is just bonkers in fact whitlock in interviews currently to this day says it's still one of the biggest regrets of his entire life which is just really sad so this of course introduces all the stuff we warned you about at the beginning these are what is referred to as the layla recording sessions drug use was absolutely crazy in fact, this is the point where both Bobby Whitlock and Eric Clapton confessed this is where Eric became addicted to heroin, was during this period, which is just mind-blowing. Clapton would later call this, these sessions as his, quote, blackout period. 
So the session started in early March, and by April, they would get to the point where Eric would actually stop showing up at the studio, like wouldn't know where he was, and he was just totally gripped in his heroin addiction, which is really frightening. Whitlock kind of states that, you know, he says there was a lot of, quote, nonsense down in that hotel. So the hotel in Miami where they put everybody up was just a hotbed for every kind of debauchery you can imagine. And they called it a, quote, nest of dealers. And the running joke was the hotel was filled with two things, sex workers and dealers. And it was tough at any given moment to figure out which there was more of. There was everything under the sun. There was cocaine, pills, booze, pot, LSD, heroin. In fact, there were several occasions where the record company sent people down to the hotel to kind of like straighten everything out. Every attempt failed. Hey, just uh, couldn't do Will? It. Yeah. Hey, Will, since um, Eric Clapton was in that hotel, shouldn't it have been, you know, heroin pills and cocaine? Nah, 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 nah. As and, there. Uh... <laughs> wow. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of rock and roll heaven because yeah. my brother has lost his freaking mind. <laughs> <sighs> Cocaine. And and everyone really indulged in everything. Yes, cocaine was actually a big part of the scene, which Dwayne did quite a bit of. He also did speed and mushrooms, and he liked kind of the psychedelic type stuff. But, you know, TJ, as we mentioned in our last episode, a lot of these guys took the cocaine to keep going. You know? Right. You know, Bobby Whitlock would even say he went to Dwayne one time, and they were both really high. And he said to Dwayne, he's like, Dwayne, how do you play slide so well? And Dwayne almost goes, I'll tell you what you do. Here's what you do. You get a fishing pole, okay? You get a sack of cocaine. You get some beers. You take your dobro guitar and your slide down to the creek and you sit there and just keep on keeping on one day you'll get it whitlock said he tried this to the t and he could not play like Dwayne. <laughs> so i guess it only works for Dwayne. i think they probably were doing cocaine to stay awake so they could do more of other drugs that is possible too yeah like i can take so many more mushrooms if i do cocaine and stay awake all night right Woo-hoo! so i do more cocaine then i do more mushrooms then i do more cocaine yeah it, however, despite this debauchery at all hours, they said that the, the crew was, they were consummate professionals. Eric and Dwayne were actually the first ones in the studio every single day. They would show up early, they would plan everything out, so they were functioning in light of all this, which is completely bonkers if you think about it. In fact, as time went on, Clapton admits that he actually approached Dwayne, and he and the members of Derek and the Dominoes tried to convince him to leave the Allman Brothers. And they said they sat him down one day. They said, Dwayne, we want you, you know, what do we need to do to get you with our band? They said Dwayne just calmly sat there and put his tips of his fingers together. And he looked at them and said, the only way I'll do it is if I can bring my baby brother. And they said, no, you know, they're like, hey, we've already got a singer. We got a keyboardist. You know, sorry. And Dwayne smiled and just said, "Okay, then. And he stuck with the Allman Brothers. So he actually declined to be a permanent member of Derek and the Dominoes. And Derek and the Dominoes would prove to be a very short lived venture anyway but yeah so Dwayne was smart on that one perhaps ahead of the curve there were a few problems with Derek and the Dominoes we'll go into those shortly but like you said yeah they they basically released you know Layla and other love songs then they kind of just disappeared you know in the early 70s there were several problems and one of them was that who was Derek and who were the Dominoes you don't look at that name and think oh it's Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton never even comes up so by the time the album was released in 1970 come out actually later in the year about november nobody knew who they were looking for they're like who are these guys so after that recording of the album though Dwayne was back on the road and it was time to do some shows at the famed fillmore east where he would once again join albert king van morrison and the burns which would be quite a lineup at the fillmore east if you think about it that'd be pretty incredible and of course greg yeah, was coming in Greg was coming into his own as a lead vocalist. He was always proficient on really every instrument, but the Hammond was his strong suit. 
But even then, it was interesting about to see them playing on stage together because Dwayne was still the center. Dwayne would be up in front of the crowd. He'd be wailing on his guitar, talking to people, having a good time. Even when Greg was singing, he'd be off the side behind his organ, kind of, you know, almost trying to fade into the backdrop. But that's kind of what they did. They would actually film a series of recordings at the Fillmore East around this time, which is another fun fact. Another fun fact. Another fun fact. That recording at the film where they did create a documentary is the only filmed live performance of Dwayne Allman that has been captured. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. That just seems, yeah. you would think even then, I mean, obviously everybody essentially carries the means to video things in their pocket now. You still would have thought there'd have been a couple of more of their shows recorded. Wow. Just, there's just one. That's 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 the one with Dwayne. Yeah. I mean, the Allman brothers, obviously they're scores that go on for decades, but for Dwayne, This is the only one. It's crazy. Now, Dwayne did have some obligations to play shows with Derek and the Dominoes, which he graciously accommodated. So he would again be touring with the Allman Brothers. He would go play with Derek and the Dominoes. He'd rejoin the Allman Brothers. This would continue for the better part of 1970 through December, where they would actually find themselves in, of all places, Columbia, South Carolina. Hey, hey, hey. Hey! And who was on the bill that night? Well, it was the Allman Brothers Band, Johnny Winter, and Rick Derringer. Oh, Sorry, wow. I was I was actually going to make a political joke. Oh, you were? <laughs> yeah, because you said who was on the bill that night. I'm just thinking Clinton, and I'm like, could have been anybody. We're not a political podcast, but that's more of a Bill Clinton joke. I feel like that's another I... arena altogether. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. I think we can yeah. all unite over that. Yes, that's something that brings us all together. This wouldn't be the weirdest of the lineups, though, because they would actually go where were to the they? Fillmore. Hey, out of curiosity, was it? Do you know where they were playing? There was it the township? Oh, you know what? I don't have that. I didn't okay. get the exact venue, but that's a good question. I don't know how many venues were in Columbia at that point. That uh, probably not a ton. Yeah, I'd bet township auditorium, maybe. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. Maybe have that in the next episode there. And this, uh, and you back, said it was Derek and the Dominoes or the Almonds? No, this is with the Almonds. This was Almonds, oh, okay. Johnny Winter, and Der- Rick Derringer. Yeah. They would continue to play in North Carolina, make their way back up to the Fillmore East. One of the concerts towards the end of that year would actually be in December. They would play with Canned Heat, of all bands. Which is interesting, because guess who was mixing albums for Canned Heat? It was their old buddy, Dallas Smith, who was producing albums with the Hourglass. You didn't let me answer. That was totally going to be my answer. That or Grumpy Bear from the Care Bears. You were really close on that one. Really was. And I feel like in this narrative, you could almost swap out Dallas Smith for Grumpy Bear and it would still work. <laughs> but he was with the Hourglass, of course, and no love lost there. My he guess would have been Jim Varney. <laughs> oh, wow. Good call. Like Vern? Yeah. You know what I mean, Vern? Oh, I haven't thought yeah, about him Christmas. in a couple of days. He went to camp. Hey, he Mom. He went to jail. He went to jail. He did. And, and he am, am, am I, and he was is, in every other commercial that aired on South Carolina television between 1980 and 1990. He was everywhere. Yeah. Did he? Okay. Is it a fever dream that I had one time, or did he go up against like a trash monster? Yes. Yeah, that so was I, in Scared Stupid. Okay. Yeah, in Scared in Ernest Scared Stupid. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Good. So I'm not just creating things from my mind. <laughs> I believe he and, called uh, the monster Booger Lips. <laughs> yes, he did. By the way, I've. Uh, I've since uh, probed the deep recesses of my mind, which is to say I used Google. They played at uh, a venue called The Hangar in Columbia, which I'm not familiar with. But I'm going to guess it's, it's probably close to the airport. Pro- probably so. Isn't everything close to the airport? 
kind of in <laughs> Colombia. Yeah. And everything in Colombia is close to the airport and hell. And hell. And five points. Yeah. And five Air- points. Airport, hell, five points. Sometimes yep. hell is five points. So what you're saying is unless the almonds are playing there, there's no reason to go there. I would not, no. no I would not recommend it. No. Very little good happens there. Got it. And this would be kind of one of those weird full circle things. It happens a bunch in Dwayne's life, but eerily enough wait, in this wait, last wait, year. Wait, 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 hang on. Hmm. No, no diss to the city of Columbia. We appreciate our state capital. It is a beautiful state capital. It is From... the 49th most beautiful capital, right? <laughs> and for those who don't know, that's what our tour guide said in Juneau, Alaska. Yep. Is that... <laughs> so, I think he said 48, so it might be higher ranked than Columbia. Maybe, but yeah. uh, I don't know whether it's like to preserve history or because they're cheap bastards, but they never fixed the cannon holes. Yeah. That were shot into the state house. So they just put brass go, plates over. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> in the shape they're in the shape of stars. Yep. Oh, that's hilarious. I, I don't know why, but that's our state capital. That's entertaining. <laughs> well, it's hard to get a contractor that'll show up and do anything. I mean, they've been trying for apparently a hundred, hundred sixty years. I thought y'all was gonna come do something about these cannon holes. See, it's you know what? It's because nobody wants to work now. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and apparently, never did. Yeah. Not news. <laughs> hey, Will, I hate to interrupt, but we do need to take a short sponsor break. And we're back. Awesome. Let's get back to the music and life of Dwayne Ullman. Ah, so we get back to Dwayne, and we're going to see a few things come full circle as he reaches the end of his his brief life. And, of course, they would play this venue with Canned Heat, make their way to New York because they were becoming basically regulars of the Fillmore East. And this is where the infamous Dwayne Allman interview comes into play, which you can hear. They actually have it on numerous platforms, including Spotify. It was a promotional piece with David Herman on WABC in New York. WABC. So they bring in Dwayne specifically to kind of be the face of the band and, you know, talk about the upcoming shows, the Fillmore. This would prove to be nothing short of a disaster, though. So Dwayne was late, first of all, and he was clearly on something the one thing he confessed to at the time was being drunk and if you listen to the interview that tracks but it's also clear that there were other things that he was on again you can hear the interview and it's 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 really something so dave herman you know goes and tries to do this interview and he's trying to keep it on track and it's just one of those things where it is not working it's all over the board uh, Dwayne did say some good things out of it it's really interesting because he was talking about dickie betts and when he said you know for the two guitar players, you know, and the, he asked him something, you know, glib, like, oh, who's who's the best guitar player in the Allman Brothers? And Dwayne's response was, well, Dickie's the good one. I'm the famous one, which I thought was really funny. But that's pretty much the end of the flattering sound bites, because we go on to say some fun things. I remember when they asked him what he drank, he said Jack Daniels, because, quote, his grandfather washed his feet in Jack Daniels. That's him being from Tennessee, of course. And then there was the infamous comment, no old ladies, no kids, just guitars which I had brought up. So let's bring this into context here. We know that Dwayne and his partner Donna had a daughter, Galadriel, and they briefly lived together. So hang on, wait, hang on. I think I missed the birth of his daughter. Was she named because of uh, of the rings? Yeah. Okay. Did I I miss that? Or was I just that was last episode? Okay, cool. So uh, so yay me for for figuring out nerd. (laughs) Yeah, Dwayne was a fan of the books, apparently. And interestingly enough, she would go on to write a biography about Dwayne, which is actually really good. And I recommend you read it. It's a, a song for my father. Uh, it's really good. And it's a biography written by his daughter. Now, the terms of how the relationship falls apart is 
are highly questionable here. Dwayne's take, and again, this is under a lot of influences, is David asks how he met, you know, Donna, Galadriel's mother. And Dwayne says, oh boy, here we go. Quote, I met her at a show and she asked me to ball her, end quote. So that's romantic. What does that, that mean? I'm a, am I scared? Well, when a man and a woman love each other, it'll do. Yeah, when, a, I, when a man and a woman like each other very much, what yes. happens is... Guys. So what happens is obviously phoning, balling, scrumping, look, scrumping, we, look, 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 stop it. The, flies, the whole reason the why we stopped doing our Adam and Eve <laughs> it's for this reason. promotion was because I didn't want to talk about this stuff with my brother. So stop. Okay. So yes, we'll try to get back on track here, but it's probably not going to work. So the result is the jizz missile. Oh, jeez. The ensuing pregnancy is, of course, with betting the foxhole. His daughter Galadriel, and for a brief if he, time, if you don't mute him, he's just going to keep going. <laughs> for a brief time, Dwayne does live with his daughter and his partner. Again, they were never formally married. At some point, though, she was basically asking him to be around more, and Dwayne's response was basically, "Look, I'll, I'll give you money, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to stay here." So he apparently gave him money and a car, and he said it was going to be quote just me and my guitar. This is one of the cases where his former bandmate Paul Hornsby actually says, and I quote, in front of thousands of listeners, Dwayne Allman really found a way to show his ass, which is a hell of a quote. Did this hurt the shows coming up at the Fillmore? Not at all. The shows would actually start in December and continue straight into the new year, which is 1971, the final year of Dwayne Allman's life. They would play December 11th and 12th, and they would play again on the 28th. They would make stops in Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, back in New York, close out the year on a show. Get this lineup. This show had Almond Brothers Band, Hot Tuna. <laughs> yes, that Hot Tuna. No. Right. No. Yep, the same. No. Didn't that, that's some dead derivation, correct? They were spinoff of, I think, Jefferson Airplane, right? Is it? Or there's some some affiliation. I don't know. Ask Aaron. We'll bring we'll Aaron on and talk about it. But yes. And then there was, of course, the resulting album masterpiece, the third album for the Allman Brothers. The penultimate recording to feature Dwayne Allman would be a live recording at the Fillmore East. March 12th and 13th, 1971. That's when the band would play these famous shows, which would again be forever logged as one of the greatest live performances at all time. Around this time, Bill Graham, who was obviously the creator of both the Fillmore West and East, was starting to, he was getting a little tired of it. He was running these venues, it was running him into the ground. So he figured they would go out with a bang. So he brings in, you know, all the people he knows and decides that they're going to do this show, they're going to record it, and it's going to be amazing. So before that, they actually decide that they're going to do this famous taped recording, which is the one that's sort of a documentary style. And it's actually filmed over two different days with the Allman Brothers in which neither set they played was less than three hours. The final song would be Whipping Post in a 22-minute recording of the song. Which I'm, I'm guessing we're not going to listen to. We are not. We are going to hear a live song, which I'll get to in a bit, but it was, needless to say, very difficult to pick out a Allman Brothers live recording that would fit the format for our it's podcast. It's just, it's, I can't, the, how many drugs were involved in a song that's 22-minute? Do you just forget? Okay, I, I look at a 22-minute song kind of like when you have your phone in your hand, but you're wandering around the house trying to find it. <laughs> right. Like, nice. you you could just kind of forget what you're doing, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, we should wrap this up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Apparently, like, these shows would go on until basically sunrise, 
In fact, one of the shows features Dwayne Allman going out to the crowd and he just goes, well, it's six o'clock, y'all. We recorded this. It's going to be our third album. Thank you for support. We're not going to send you a check or anything, but we appreciate it. That was what he said. Um, they mixed down the footage and created, obviously, the live Fillmore East recordings. It was released on Capricorn Studios, including some great tracks, Statesboro Blues, Stormy Monday, You Don't Love Me. But the track we're going to listen to is a live recording of the Elmore James Blues classic, Done Somebody Wrong. Oh 
All right, we're back. All right. Some dirty blues. I love it. I will say that is the kind of song that you walk into the House of Blues when they still had a smoking section and order mm-hmm. like a Coors Light with. Yeah. Oh, so great. Yeah. DJ? Whatever whatever Dwayne was doing certainly didn't affect his guitar playing. Good Lord. Oh, God, do you hear the precision too when he does like the, the vocals and the call and the answer? It's just, it's impeccable. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. That was fantastic. Great, great guitar work on that one. Some of these recordings would actually not be featured on the Fillmore East because there were obviously dozens of them over the course of a couple nights. Some of them would be on the next album, which we'll talk about next episode. In fact, one of them would surface years later. In 1992, TJ, you and I talked about the famed Allman Brothers collection. There is a 33 version minute version of Mountain Jam. Yeah, that's uh, actually a one minute shorter than the first version we discussed. Right, <laughs> they, they shaved them in at all. Well, um, you know, I, 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 I mean, you got to tighten stuff up here and there. So, yeah, maybe it was, you know, only a five and a half minute bass solo instead of six and a half or, or, right. or whatever. So can we, can we cue that one up, LD? What's that? A 33 minute version of Mountain Jam? No, we cannot. Nuts. Well, how about no, a fun she fact? wants the 34 minute version. Clearly. How about a fun fact instead? Fun fact. The album cover for the Fillmore East album would have been enough to get Dwayne convicted on drug charges. Why? Well, the photo shoot wasn't going very well. In fact, everybody in it just looked kind of glum and nobody was having a good time. So they took a break and Dwayne actually went around the corner. Again, this is the village in the 70s. Finds a dealer. He comes back with a big smile on his face, walks up to the band. The photographer is getting set. And just before the picture is taken, Dwayne kind of gets everybody's attention and pulls out the little baggie and dangles it. All the band members can see it. Anyway, they crack up, smiles all around. That's the photo that was used on the album cover. (laughs) Wow. Yep. Now, one of the things Dwayne would always insist on is inclusion of the entire crew, which meant the road crew. So one of the terms was Dwayne demanded that the road crew be photographed as well. They were missing a member, if you recall from our last episode. Uh, LD, I don't know if you missed this one, but one of their road managers slash gear guys slash enforcers a guy named twigs linden actually killed a club owner in buffalo i'm sorry that's the fun fact no the fun fact is still kind of going anyway so he's actually in jail in buffalo because they're going to put him on trial for murder so they said how can we include twigs and it was one of the other guys idea he goes hey let's let's put a picture of him in front of all of us so you know he's part of the photo so if you can look at the back of the album out the band is on the front reverse side is the road crew where in the upper left corner is a picture of Twigs right across from the track listing. So they insisted that they include him, and they did. Here's another fun fact. Another fun fact. Another fun fact. If you look at that road crew, you'll see something in their hands. What are they drinking? PBR, folks. To this day, the PBR marketing team says that that cover from the Allman Brothers was better than any promo they had had up to that point, and their beer sales actually increased because of it. I wonder what how how um how PBR was viewed uh, at the time. I don't know because I know it's like resurged in in recent years. Is that a resurgence? And yeah. it was kind of so uncool. It was cool, and it's you know I, I don't know. You're also not talking about the era of lots of you know craft brews and stuff. No, it was pretty much commercial well, beer. At that I don't point. think you could even get like Coors Light east of the Rockies or whatever. So no, they just have at that point, people probably just, were just happy to have beer. Right, I'm sure they were. And how much was the Allman Brothers Band paid for this, you might ask? Well, I will tell you. They did two nights at the Fillmore for the princely sum of $1,200, which equates to about 9000 bucks today for the whole band. Which is, for, for five musicians and a road crew they consider part of the band, that's, gosh, they probably had 700 bucks a piece for two nights' work. Exactly. And if you consider, you know, the activities they were indulging in, I'm guessing not much was left over. $700 adjusted for inflation, of course. Oh, right, adjusted for inflation. In actual cash money at the time, that would have put, gosh, everybody would 
what about 150 bucks give or take yeah not a lot mm-hmm. Not a lot. The album would be a success, though. The third Allman Brothers album would hit number 13 on the Billboard charts. And by that fall, it would actually reach gold status. So it was a good seller. Dickie Betts actually calls those shows at the Fillmore their, quote, pinnacle. He said that was when they were at their absolute best. And I can't argue. I will say the Fillmore East is one of my favorite live recordings. It's considered one of the best recorded, period. If you haven't checked it out, please do. And, of course, there was the debauchery. Backstage, there were a lot of shenanigans going on. In fact, there were several accounts from a guitar dealer named Kurt Linoff. Kurt was actually the one who supposedly acquired the famous Les Paul guitar that Dwayne would play. That's kind of a tobacco kind of color. He actually got that for Dwayne. He said, backstage, there were about 20 dealers, 20 chicks giving blowjobs, and 30 musicians in the dressing rooms. It was a complete zoo, and there was nonsense going on behind every single door. I feel like nonsense is their term for, for something illicit. comes up a lot. By May of that year, and twenty girls. Okay, all right. Yeah, twenty dealers, twenty girls giving giving blowjobs, so specific task, and then thirty musicians. Right. So there's twenty girls and thirty musicians. Okay. All right. Yeah. Hey, I'm not a math person, so. Hey, yeah. Look, math's not my strong suit or anything, but I'm just saying. I just saying. I'm not even. You know what? I'm. 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 Okay. Yeah, so there's that. However, by May of 1971, Bill Graham would break the unfortunate news. After years of running the Fillmore's, he would call it quits. He did issue a letter to the Village Voice, LD, a paper I think you're familiar with. I uh, so- I loved the Village Voice because, number yeah. one, it was a free newspaper. And who doesn't love free? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but it's also name-dropped in La Vie Boheme in the musical Rent. So. Yeah. Yeah. So Graham writes a letter to The Voice saying he's closing the venue. The last show would be in June of 1971, and it would, of course, feature the Allman Brothers Band. Now, the goal was to kind of have a three-night closeout of the whole venue. So this is June of 1971. The final shows would actually keep going. So they would actually start in June, do a series of concerts that would lead up to this big finale in July, where the final night would be... July 27th, which is actually my sister's birthday. A little fun fact. Wait, is that Claire's birthday? Claire's birthday? Yeah, Claire's birthday is 27th. The last night would include the Jay Giles Band, Edgar Winter, Albert King, who just seems to be following the Allman Brothers at this point, Country Joe and the Fish, and here's one for you, LD, the Beach Boys. Hey. Now this would lead to some conflict. The Beach Boys came in, balls out first, and they were like, Hey, Bill, we're glad we're here. We're going to be closing out the venue for you. We're going to be the last act at the Fillmore East. Bill looks at him and goes, no, the Allman Brothers are going to be the last act at the Fillmore East. The Beach Boys are like, no, we're the Beach Boys. So either we play last or we don't play. To which Bill Graham responded, you can perform or pack up your gear. Both are fine with me. The Almonds are closing. And so... With a big pair of balls, Bill Graham made it clear that the Allman Brothers Band would play the last ever show at the Fillmore East. The Beach Boys would play before them. Damn. That's all I got to say. Yeah. And they and they went with it. They ended up staying and they played. And for those of you paying attention, you will realize this is another full circle in Dwayne's life. Back in 1965, a young Dwayne and Greg Allman were playing with a band called the Escorts who opened for the Beach Boys in Daytona, Florida. Boom! Yep, full circle moment. I think we're done. Full circle moment. Now, the Allman Brothers would not take the stage until roughly 2 a.m., and they would play until 7 a.m. Five hours in the middle of the night. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to need you to say those names again. Of the bands? No, those times again. So the Allman Brothers band went on stage around 2 a.m., and they finished the concert at 7 a.m. 
Again, do they remember that they're playing? I don't know. <laughs> Go to bed. But I don't think they sleep. Dwayne no. would actually say that, you know, in that closing night, he was very moved by the whole matter because, first of all, Bill Graham stood up for them and they were the final act to ever play at the Fillmore East, which is pretty amazing. But as he walked out, he said, leaving that morning was like leaving a church. So Dwayne Allman was very it's, moved by it. Except it was seven o'clock in the morning. And, was uh, they were all high. Yeah. They were probably <laughs> very high. I mean, depend, not... I guess I guess that depends on what church you go to, though. Yes. And... Yeah, because they uh, let you know when you get to Jamaica, one of the places you can legally smoke is in Rastafarian churches. And in Parliament, right? Good. good. Well, you, you've actually been to Jamaica. So we have, and we the not. bus driver informed us that people do it everywhere. The two places it's legally recognized you can do it were Rastafarian churches and Bob Marley's gravesite. I thought Parliament was one of them. Big Ben. <laughs> Parliament. Parliament. So while we are reaching into the road, folks, we are not quite there. It will continue for Dwayne and the Allman Brothers. Obviously, they would continue on and play some shows in New York, and they would actually make their way to the Newport, Rhode Island Jazz Festival, which will actually be canceled because of the Allman Brothers. <laughs> But that is something, folks, we will cover in our next and final episode on the great Dwayne Altman. So we're going to take a little All break. Right. Nice. Yeah. Is that it? Is that it for the... Uh... For now. Oh, yeah. Wow. Hey, uh, it'll, this, it won't be breaking news by the time this episode drops, but I have some breaking music news to pass along. What's breaking that? News. Snoop Dogg has announced he's going to stop smoking weed. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not really. He's he's that's an official announcement. He's giving up smoking. I I don't believe that. I I just can't. Maybe he's gonna go with edibles or something. Maybe I don't know. Maybe. I mean, come on. Also, can we just talk about the iconic pairing of Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg? Like their their friendship is just baffling and beautiful. It's a joy to watch. Yeah, but no, he can't. He he can't. Like if he quits smoking. I don't have faith in anything else in the world. I mean, that does mean there'll be like a lot more left for everybody else. True. Maybe the industry will take a hit. Yeah, I was going to uh, say stock. Yeah, yeah, the the stock for dispensaries is probably plummeting at this horrible news. Yeah, that was. It's an interesting episode, and um, it's it's interesting that again the, the web that's been woven between so many people who seem like they should be so disparate, but that they're not. You know, we've drawn a line now from. You know, basically, if you go up over two episodes and play Connect the Dots from like like George Harrison to Waylon Jennings. It is wild, yeah. From like, from Graham Parsons to to, to George Harrison to Country Joe and the Fish and Heat and Dwayne Allman. And it's just, there's the the number of, I don't, I don't, was music just more communal at this point? I think it was. Or or something, because they're they're legitimately, really, if you think about it, in these last two series, we talked about, you know, Waylon his career started in the 60s and got roaring through the 70s. Dwayne sadly started late 60s, ended early 70s. But but there are so many commonalities with the whole experience just a lot more like together and communal and people played together a lot more than they do now. Or, or is this my imagination? I think a lot of it is that it's it's non it's non-communal now except for the events. Look at what's happening with Taylor Swift. Like that's on an audience level. So, but as far as like music, it's almost a little surprise when you get a collaboration with someone. I just, I don't, I just don't think that that music is as universal as it used to be because 
it's there's so many like subdivisions because you know there's edm there's techno there's rap there's r&b there's pop there's broadway music it's like there's a ton of genres when before really accessible was rock and roll because it was kind of uh it was kind of a uh, there are so many of these people, though, that we've discussed in, in this, you know, Will has drawn lines between lots of, you know, connections between this artist and that artist and Dwayne and, you know, Eric Clapton and George Harrison and all these people. But then if you just, like I said, if you think back to our last, and our last series, now again, you you are again talking about somebody who was, who was, was from the South, raised in the South, lived in the South, very popular in the South. So, so that may play, maybe that plays into it, but it just seems like there's an awful lot of threads connecting lots of people that we've talked about over recent months, more so than usual. Again, same general area, same general time frame, but I just it doesn't seem like you have that as much anymore. Yeah, no, not as collaborative as it used to be from an artist perspective and then from an audience perspective. It's not because we also have different, like friends used to come over to your house and listen to your records. And then yeah. you guys would go see these artists in these places and they were really accessible because it was like smaller venues. You don't really have that now unless somebody is just getting off the ground. And at that right. point, they probably don't have a big enough following be a communal thing until like they get plucked out of obscurity and put into the spotlight. And at that point, they're inaccessible. So yeah. before it was, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but like before we had the internet, it, I feel like it was more communal because now I can I can go watch a concert of Michael Jackson's from 1984 on yeah. YouTube. I can you know I don't have to go to a venue to see an artist now. I also wonder if, if I hate to say it, but you know back then there was probably a lot more informal jamming and people playing together and stuff, and that probably doesn't happen as much because they're I mean I mean I'm not it is what it is probably way fewer people that actually sing legitimately can sing and play instruments than there used to be. There might be. I think there's also a greater access to information that, that makes choices less organic. What I mean by that is I don't think you would find now, say like a musician like Eric Clapton, go into a club, see a drummer he really likes and go, Hey, come play in my band. Like wouldn't happen now ever. Yeah. Accurate. Yeah. <clears throat> so Anyway, we, boy, when you you said something a few minutes ago, I almost said something that would probably have gotten us the most hate and vitriol ever. So I should probably oh no. just not say it. Oh dear! Oh now, I kinda, now I kind of now I kind of want to know. I don't know. You said, "Look what's happening now with Taylor Swift." And I was going to say, "You mean price gouging and auto tuning?" Not her fault. Not her fault. <laughs> Come at me, Swifties! Oh jeez! Oh god! And there goes our yeah, no, 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 no. That was TJ. That was TJ. Chicken that was cut, TJ. She can cut. She can cut that aisle. You can. You can email him that I didn't do anything. <laughs> Good God, uh, he's going to get canceled. I'm. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Look at. Look. You probably didn't think that I would be able to, to hang in there for three solid years without getting us canceled or getting banned from the network or being fired. And I did. I made it three whole years. You, you tried. You tried, buddy. I sure will, right. y'all. <laughs> ah, great okay well that's our show if you want to give us money for whatever my brother's completely throwing me off my game i i like taylor swift okay i like if you have any okay. left after buying thousand dollar concert <laughs> okay you could do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven <laughs> don't even worry about x anymore we don't care instagram rock and roll heaven lt facebook rock and roll heaven pod if 
I'm still not saying our website. You can check out our TikTok at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. If you want to send my brother hate mail, you can do that at <laughs> Rock and Roll Heaven LT. His name is spelled T R A V I S. <laughs> Please make sure to put that in the the subject line so I know it's not it's not me. No focus on me because I like Taylor Swift. I appreciate Shake It Off. I hoop to it. So don't don't come after me. But oh, please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. Travis, do you have anything you want to say? Nope, nope. You know what? Just say goodbye. Just say goodbye, Travis. Bye, buddy. All right. I want to say thank you guys so much for checking out this episode. Please make sure to check out next week where we unveil Thea's new podcast that we are going to be premiering on our Patreon. So if you donate on our Patreon, you'll get to hear that first. And and then it will come out on the podcast probably as a bonus episode. Looking at every two weeks, maybe once a month. We're not really sure yet, but we are going to figure that out. We've got this on lock. But please, guys, have a happy Thanksgiving. And, and uh, don't, don't, Anna, and uh, there's going to be another show called TJ's Time Machine. I just thought of it. Okay. God, what? No, I don't even. No, I mean I don't even know, but it's it's alliterative. It's got lots of, of the T, so we're we're gonna do that too. All right, I'm just I'm glad it wasn't something about Taylor Swift. All right, I am I'm just you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Please be safe. Remember, if you do imbibe over the holiday season, please make sure to get a Lyft or an Uber or a cab or have your friend drive you home because it is not worth it. We love you all, and I'm gonna pass it over to Will. He's gonna close out the show. And we will see you guys in two weeks' time, but you will not be missing an episode because you will be getting Thea's podcast. All right, Will, back to you. All right, so we're going to take it back a little bit to the famed Layla sessions and, of course, play the most iconic song from that era. And again, a song most people know within the first seven notes. During this time, it was obviously a very rough time for Clapton. He had spoken much about his drug abuse at that time, and he said a lot of it was actually exacerbated by... The feelings he had for George, George Harrison's wife, Hattie. Now, the name Layla is sort of, you know, a substitute for that, because like Dickie Betts, he didn't want to publicly call out the woman he was lusting after. But does anyone know the origin of that? No. Of okay. Layla. Know the origin the of name, what? The name Layla. I mean, I know who she was, but I don't I don't know where the name Layla it came from. Goes I, I, mean, back I know to... who Layla is, but gotcha. It actually goes back to the I want to say six hundred. 600 AD. It's actually from a Persian poem, the story of Layla and Mejnun, which Clapton uses a direct allegory for his relationship with Patty and and love triangle between him, Patty, and George. Um, the word Mejnun actually means crazy in Arabic because in the story, Mejnun falls for Layla. He can't have her, and he's literally driven to insanity. So that's the origin of that name and that's why clapton had the song so interesting now you know that mm. and actually that opening lick was done by Dwayne ullman apparently clapton was struggling he couldn't come up with a lick to just tie the song together and basically turned to Dwayne. Dwayne's like hang on i got this just goes with his guitar futzes around and comes back with again that riff off of a d minor pentatonic which is just so recognizable you know in a heartbeat what song it is Dwayne famously played a gibson guitar Clapton famously plays a Fender guitar, and the two sounds blend so well in a dual guitar attack that is really unlike anything else that's ever been recorded. And yet, Dwayne was humble about the whole thing, and reflecting on an interview, he actually said, I'm as satisfied with my work on Layla as I could be. I was glad to have the opportunity to work with people of that magnitude with that much brilliance and talent.
So that is going to be the song we're going to close out this one, which is, of course, on Layla and other assorted love songs. The most well-known and really one of only two albums for Derek and the Dominoes, I think, from 1970. I do want to jump back, though, and address the subject that we covered earlier. Obviously, this is a very tough episode because it deals with substance abuse. Eric Clapton was, I think, very well known and public about his battle with heroin. And the fact that he did get clean in 1987, he would actually go into rehab, second stint, and he would ultimately conquer his addiction. In fact, uh, one of the things he would go on to do was establish the Crossroads Center, which is meant to help other addicts. And I think this is very apropos coming off of the unfortunate passing of Matthew Perry, who had said that that's what he wanted to be known for, was helping other people who struggle. So, you know, before we go into that final song, I do want to just remind everyone out there, there is help and there is hope if you or someone you love is struggling with addiction. There is a 24-hour national hotline for S-A-M-H-S-A, and that number is one 800 662-H-E-L-P. Again, 1-800-662-4357. You don't have to fight the battle against addiction alone. And on that note, I will say thank you, good night, and see you on the next episode.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 